Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, Dodo Birds and Leaky Black, Matt Norlander, is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You you have consent. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please knock that out while you're here. While you're doing that, let me remind you what we've got going on. It's called the Summer Shoot-Around. It's a series during which we're going to focus on 20 notable teams over a span of 10 weeks. Two per week, 20 teams in 10 weeks. And we're doing the schools alphabetical order. We're more than halfway home. We've already knocked out Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Auburn, Baylor, Creighton, Duke, Gonzaga, Houston, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisville, and Michigan. Now we turn our attention to the ends, and that's North Carolina. That's the home of Leaky Black. Tar Heels went 9-10 last season, finished tied for second in the ACC. They got an eight seed in the NCAA tournament, and then, oh boy, beat Marquette, Bay, UCLA, St. Peter's, and Duke to reach the national title game where they lost to Kansas 72-6. That team, UNC's bringing back pretty much everybody who matters besides Brady Manick, which is why I've got the Tar Heels ranked second, the top 25 and one. We'll see what Deadleg thinks of North Carolina next. But first, a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Deadleg, I've got UNC ranked second in the top 25 and one behind only Gonzaga. How are you feeling about Hubert Davis's Tar Heels? You that high on them? Do I have them too high? You lower about right. Well, 
How often do you check your mailbox? Are you are you a go to the mailbox every day kind of guy, Parrish? Are you the person that goes to the mailbox? Like here, me and my wife, it's kind of like I'm the, I'm usually checking seventy five percent of the time. What about you? How often do you go to the mailbox? Uh, it, it, it's it's a, it difficult because sometimes I think most often the mail is delivered at a time when I'm not home because of radio taking me away from home from about three o'clock in the afternoon to about six thirty at night. So at that point, my kids might go out there and grab it. Especially my little guy, he likes to go to the mailbox, but it's, it that's a problem because then uh, people are like, "Hey, did you get that check?" No. I'm, but I'm sure it's in my kid's toy room. Can you please resend it? So uh, I'd say, I'm, you know, if I'm home, I grab it, but I'm not always home to grab it. Tried to do some, uh, you know, some good producing for the podcast for the visual element here, but it's failed. <laughs> I made I made, I made a Trader Joe's run last Thursday, right next to the Trader Joe's is a UPS store. Mm-hmm. Dropped in, paid a cool $13, by the way, mm-hmm. 13 bucks. I was like, can you get this to... To Mississippi by by Monday, basically. Uh, how many how many business days? Or like two business days. All right, so it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I put your lockdown leaky shirt in the mail. Oh no! So you are supposed to be wearing it now. There's a chance. There's I guess there's a chance it hasn't arrived yet. But I was and you didn't text me, so I was thinking maybe he got it. And he's just gonna hop on this in, feed and in, be wearing it. Mm, here's the truth. I uh, I I was I. This is. I was in New York last Thursday, Friday. Got home late Friday night. I almost night. sent it to your hotel, but I didn't think I didn't want to chance that. I didn't want to chance because it was only Connecticut to New York. I almost did that, but I was like, I don't want to send it to the hotel, and he's yeah, leaving. He doesn't. You're more you're more likely to find me in that hotel than you are at my house some weeks. But uh, so here's the thing: I got home late Friday night, and then we left first thing Saturday morning. Weekend at the lake. Got home. Yeah, I haven't looked in that mailbox. It is uh, possible there's a leaky black T-shirt in that mailbox right now. <laughs> Oh, I feel like I failed you. You did, but it's okay. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button. Yours truly is wearing the lockdown leaky shirt. Parrish has an identical one, albeit in a smaller size, that uh, that will be arriving. And you know what? Maybe he wears it this week on our regularly scheduled episode, as you know, as opposed to uh, this North Carolina specific episode. Uh, would have loved to go, you know, identical T-shirts, but here we are, Carolina. Mm-hmm. You've got them too. Yep. As was uh, revealed last week in our Candid Coaches series, Carolina uh, voted to be the best team in, in the sport heading in by, you know, 100 coaches we, we pulled across the country there. And if Carolina is indeed, I had this recently. I don't know if you caught this fact or not. You probably didn't. It's all right. I had a in my uh, mailbox. I haven't looked yet. Yeah, this, this was delivered digitally uh, in my column last week. Was Last week marked 68 days to the start of the regular season, so I did a whole 68 things to know. And UNC, trivia time. Okay, let's go. All right, so UNC mm-hmm. is tied with Duke for the most all-time preseason number one rankings in men's D1 history. Mm-hmm. How many times do you think Duke and Carolina have entered a season ranked number one in the AP Top 25? How many times did Duke and North Carolina enter the season ranked first in the top, AP top twenty-five? I'm going to say that that's going to. I'm going to go with. That feels like it's been done twelve times. Ooh, nine apiece. Okay, nine apiece for Duke and Carolina. I was rounding up to twelve, though. I was rounding up to the nearest twelve. 
So uh, if Carolina does get that preseason number one, it will hold the record for the most preseason number one rankings and break its tie with Duke. A bonus fun little trivia time for you. What year do you think was the last time Carolina was not ranked in the preseason? What year? What was the last time the Tar Heels did not enter a season with a one through 25 next to their name? I would think it would. Oh, man, it would. I would. It predates Roy. I'm going to need a year. You need a year. It may or may not predate Roy. Feels like it should predate Roy. May or may not. Okay. I'm going to go with... I want to say it's never happened. <laughs> I know I know it's happened. <laughs> but like I don't even know what a good guess be. I can't I can't imagine Roy Williams not having a roster that wasn't worthy of 20 of being in the top 25 ever. So I'm going to predate Roy. I think Guthridge's teams on paper were 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 great. Um oh, it maybe a is it I feel like Matt Doherty probably had preseason top 25 teams. Maybe I feel like Matt Doherty probably had preseason. I'm going to go 19 79. Woo! 1979. Cool kids never had the time. Incorrect. Uh, We're looking at 2006. What? what? Does not predate Roy. That is... At, uh, is they win the title? Uh, year after, apparently. This is according to College Poll Archive, which does a great job of tracking this stuff. You got freshman Tyler Hansbrough, freshman Danny Green, freshman Bobby Frazier, senior David Noel, Junior Wes Miller, now the head coach of Cincinnati, uh, I believe that team went 23 and eight, uh, you know, and exceeded preseason expectation. But yes, Carolina almost always ranked rightfully so in the preseason AP top 25, but it has been a good while and it will not be, it will not be this year. Uh, UNC obviously needs to be considered a, a lock preseason top five team. And it's hard to make an argument against UNC being in the top three somewhere, either one, two or three. They are replacing Brady Manick with Pete Nance, who comes by way of Northwestern, who could be just as important, if not more important, of an offensive weapon for UNC. Uh, certainly, you think he can be a better defender than Manick was, although Manick did have some big moments there in the tournament. He really stepped up in a big way. Um, Baycott, uh, we are we are pre-taping this from when this episode will go up, so um, this will have already published on the site, but our, Armando Baycott finished third in our candid coaches for who will be the best player in the sport this season. Drew Timmy was one, Sheboy was two, and then Baycott was three. So and it was really like a three-horse race. Some other guys got some votes, and you can go and check out that story and read about it. Uh, we'll probably talk about it on our regularly scheduled episode. But Baycott unquestionably will, or at least should be a factor in the National Player of the Year race. But if he is not, and this is where I get to where UNC really should fit in nationally, as a Final Four contender, national championship contender, you know, will Caleb Love make the jump to All-American level kind of player? You know, can he do that? He had some big moments, had a huge shot, obviously, in the tournament. But, it, you know, Carolina fans knew that last season. There were also frustrating moments as well. Personally, I found R.J. Davis to be the uh, more compelling, reliable player, 37% three-point shooter, aggressive point guard, not afraid to make a big play. Uh, you know, if you watch Carolina from start to finish last season, there were definitely moments where it felt like he was the guy. R.J. Davis was the guy that would pull UNC along. Not Baycott, not Love, not Manic. I would not be shocked 
if RJ Davis by the end of the season wound up as the second most important player on this roster, maybe it will be love. Maybe, but I, there's a lot to like. And I do a lot. Uh, I do like a lot about uh, Davis's game. And then and Leaky, you know, big, long defensive savant. Maybe he gets the top five status in the country this year. Offensively, he's not tasked with a ton. I'll be interested to see if that role expands at all, Parrish. But he was actually the most efficient player on the team last year among, you know, the regulars in the roster, he had a 120.50 rating, according to Kempom. That was the most efficient clip of any serious minutes getter get there. So, yes, they bring four of their, the best, you know, the best five back. They get Puff Johnson back, which is, uh, which is big. Seth Trimble's a name to know as a freshman. Uh, there's a lot to like here. And, you know, we see what uh, Carolina can do with a different set of pressures in year two under Hubert Davis last year. You know, it was a different scenario altogether. They struggled against really good teams. They blew out bad teams, and they finally got it together, and they went on a memorable run. I mean, what Davis did in year one is just unbelievable, and now uh, they set up here in a spot where this program and this fan base is, is very accustomed to being, as we mentioned before, preseason, number one level kind of team, Final Four aspirations, national championship aspirations. Things are going just fine so far in Hubert Davis's tenure. I think everything you just said is kind of connected to each other. Um, in, in, in the sense that Carolina started up bad, you know, they were, they were eight and three after a 29 point loss to Kentucky and Las Vegas in the CBS sports classic. Like they weren't, if you remember, we're supposed to have four teams there. The other two being Ohio state, UCLA, UNC and Kentucky were not supposed to play each other. They were supposed to play. I think Kentucky, it was, I think it was Kentucky, UCLA, uh, UNC, yeah. Ohio state. COVID knocks out Ohio State, knocks out UCLA, so they just get together. This doubleheader featuring four teams turns into, I think we called it a single header. Mm -hmm. uh, North Carolina and Kentucky agreed to play each other, even though they weren't supposed to, and Carolina didn't even compete. It was embarrassing. Like, it was an embarrassing loss. And people started asking big questions about Hubert, the direction of the program, fairly or unfairly. These conversations were happening. You know, fast forward a little bit, they, they get blown out at Wake Forest. So now they're 12 and six overall, four and three in the ACC. And fast forward a little bit, five of their first eight losses were by double digits. They had five losses on the season by at least 17 points. They were getting walloped. Um, and then I think the real low point, they, they lose to Pitt at home on February 16th. And that dropped them to 18 and eight overall, 10 and five in the ACC, 49th at Ken Palm. And according to most, on the on the wrong side of the bubble at that moment, or at the very least, in real danger of missing the NCAA tournament. But as the season progressed, you mentioned R.J. Davis, Caleb Love. It's not an accident that they both got better as the season progressed because their roles were more identified um, as the season progressed. For much of the season, they were sharing point guard duties. But as the season grew deeper, and I give Hubert and that staff a lot of credit for this, they basically put the ball in RJ's hands and told Caleb Love, they just freed him up, moved him off the ball, and said, go be a scorer. And he was able to, to you know, not have to worry about some of the things that you have to worry about when you're a primary ball handler. You know, getting others involved, getting us into our this and that. He just go, hey, go score. And he became one of the most in incredible scorers in college basketball. He got 30 against UCLA in the Sweet 16. 27 of those came in the second half. Uh, he, he, he was bad in the national championship game. Uh, five of 24 from the field, one of eight from three. But in the final four games of the season, and I think you're going to find out this is going to be more of his role 
in this upcoming season, he was largely just a scorer. He averaged 21 shots per game in the final four games of the season and became, even though Baycott ended up averaging more points per game on the season, Caleb Love was their biggest scorer down the stretch. And I think that's largely what he'll be asked to do in this upcoming season. They figured it out as last season progressed. Now they enter this season with clearly defined roles. Like R.J. Davis knows who he is and what he's supposed to do. Caleb Love now knows who he is and what he's supposed to do. Leaky Black, God bless him, knows what he is and what he's supposed to do. And Baycott knows what he is and what he's supposed to do. And what he is, by the way, and I don't um, – I, I guess I realize this, but it certainly doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think. People talk about Oscar Shibway like he had this incredible, like statistical, incredible season. And he did. He averaged 17 points and 15 rebounds per game. But Baycott got 16 and 13. I mean, Shibway, runaway national player of the year, and averaged one more point and two more rebounds per game than, 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 uh, than Armando Baycott. So Baycott was similarly statistically awesome, uh, just not quite as. I mean, that's why. Uh, it makes sense to me that Baycott would finish top three in our who's going to be the best player in college basketball uh, poll that we conducted with the Canada Coaches Series because he was one of the very best last season. So I re- like when you bring back four or five starters from a team that was really good and they all have clearly defined roles. I mean, that is a great place to start the season. Not even Gonzaga, which I have number one, or Houston, which you know is a betting market favorite with the Zags have that many clearly defined roles heading into the season. And then the question becomes Pete Nance. Um, I don't know that he's Brady Manick, but he did shoot 45% from three on 3.1 attempts per game last season at Northwestern. Now, you know, Manick was 40% from three on 6.2 attempts per game. So Manick was a little more high volume than what Pete Nance has been. But, but, I thought the staff was real smart. They they recognized what Brady Manick brought to that team in terms of spacing and everything else. And they said, let's go find somebody who can theoretically do the same things. And and they 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 found him. And yeah, I think Carolina's gonna be really good. And I know that because I've heard it all offseason, uh, some people think that this is just a team that got hot in the tournament. That's not what this was. They got hot well before the tournament to the extent that they got hot. And I actually think to say they got hot is to discount what they did. They didn't get hot. They got great. They didn't get hot. They got just grew up. They grew up, man. I was sitting there literally courtside final K home game. I mean, that was the most impressive team performance. I think I watched the entire season, regardless, regular season, postseason. Like right. what Carolina did in that 40 minutes and how it adapted to that environment. Just an insane, one-of-a-kind, can't-be-replicated type of environment where everyone presumed it was just going to be a Duke walkover and they just blow the doors off, running away, winning that game. And no, they did not win the ACC auto bid. They got upended by Virginia Tech, I believe. I was there as well for that. Mm-hmm. So they did get they did get bumped again. But still, uh, if you really take the few games before the Duke win in the regular season and extend it into the tournament, uh, I would agree. They didn't get hot. They really just grew up, found themselves, and really found the form. They might have exceeded a little bit of what we thought Carolina could be you know, back in mid-December when we were trying to figure out what the hell was going on and why why things weren't clicking the way we thought they would. Yeah, like getting hot is VCU going to the Final Four. Yeah. That was getting hot because if you go back and look at the numbers, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but that VCU team, like 
were making threes at an abnormally high rate in the tournament, like shooting it in a way they'd literally not yes. done hardly at all in the regular season. That's getting hot. It's an incredible achievement, but we can reasonably and respectfully say that team just got hot in the bracket. North Carolina didn't get hot. They got good. If you go back to February 16th, after they fell to um, 18 and eight overall, 10 and five in the ACC and 49th at Ken Tom, from there, they went 11 next 12, beat Duke twice, Virginia Tech, Baylor, UCLA, Marquette. From 217 through the end of the season, North Carolina ranked third in the country at BartTorvik.com, behind only Kansas, the national champion, and Tech Tech. That's a pretty significant sample size. That's that's a little less than eight-week span. It's a span of 13 games. They played 39 games. So that's 33% of their schedule. They play 33% of their schedule at an extremely high rate as one of the three best teams in the country. Uh, they rank fifth in adjusted defensive efficiency in that stretch. And now they're bringing four of the five starters back from that team. Uh, like I said, I've got Gonzaga number one in the top 25 and one. But if AP voters want make it North Carolina, you'll get no argument from me. It's an easy case to make. Just want to see Love be more efficient. He was a 36% shooter from three. Acceptable enough. Only 38% from two. His O rating was 101.5. That's got to improve. Uh, and I think that it, it will. And then the question becomes, with all this returning talent, uh, UNC was not a deep team last season. There is an, there's an, an, an understanding that it could be deeper, though. Uh, Trimble will be good. They got another freshman, Jalen Washington. Buff, Puff Johnson will definitely... Uh, the younger brother, Cam Johnson, he'll definitely get more minutes. Dontre Styles, I would think, will get more minutes. Um, I don't know. I, I would just keep an eye on that. DeMarco Dunn is another name to know. I don't think Carolina will be as thin. Uh, I don't think it'll be a 60-deep team. I'd be shocked if that was the case. I really think there's a chance it might be 9-deep, and that might be the, the key to it winning the ACC. This is a reasonable favorite to win its league and there's a, there's a lot to like here. And, you know, big picture, a, a lot of people are going to listen to this episode. You're Carolina fans, so you're deeply familiar with it. But from a broad perspective, uh, this is very good for college basketball. It's Carolina. Baycott's a preseason All-American. He, you know, six double-doubles. What's an NCAA tournament record? Six double-doubles uh, getting Carolina to a title game. You have familiar faces. Caleb Love. That's actually very, very good uh, for the sport in general. Regular season win total. Let's keep it going. Here are the games to know non-conference-wise, GP. Nothing for Carolina. Here's, And then this is kind of the bummer about it, but it's just the way this, the schedule is going to break here. Um, the potential preseason number one team in the country won't have a game worth watching until uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, they'll play in the day after Thanksgiving, really. On Thanksgiving, they'll play at PK85. They play Portland. Yeah. Then they'll either play Iowa State or Villanova. So that's the first challenge. We'll see what they get there. And then they're either going to get Oregon, UConn, Michigan State, or Alabama on the other side of the bracket. Then the only other games to note in the non-con for Carolina, they're going to be at Indiana November 30th, which is just a fan-freaking-tastic ACC Big Ten matchup. They will play in the CBS Sports Classic as usual. That'll be in New York City. They're going to play Ohio State, which is the next team coming up on this summer shoot-around series. So stay tuned for that later this week. And then they have December 21st, they have Michigan in the Jumpman Invitational, the first one down in Charlotte. So again, Iowa State or Nova, then one of the other four teams on the PK-85, then the other three big ones at Indiana, Ohio State in, in uh, New York City, and then Charlotte, they're going to play Michigan. The home aways, they're going to have to play twice against Duke, Notre Dame, Virginia. Those are probably the tournament teams away only. 
Florida State, Syracuse, Virginia Tech. Home onlys are BC, Georgia Tech, Miami, Clemson. They're doable. What is your regular season win total for your preseason number two team in the country, Gary Parrish? Okay, so heading into the ACC tournament, they'll play 31 games. That's what you're telling me. Yes, at least okay. that's Please let them play 31 games. That is the hope. Yeah, I always count backwards. So here's where we're at. I've got them taking one non-league loss. Oh, I think you're breaking the. I think you're breaking the pattern there. I think you've been a two non-league loss guy for most of these. So okay, yeah, I'm gonna go. go one here, one here. I don't know where it'll be. They'll just lose one because you're just gonna. They're lose losing one. at least one non-league game. Let's yeah, you it. just you'll just lose one. You just will. Okay, then I'll I'll put them at four conference losses. So I'm at twenty six and five heading into the ACC tournament and on path to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament as as outright ACC regular season champs. I'm going to have them taking at least two non-league losses, and then ACC will be nice and competitive. This is a good team, but, you know, uh, five losses isn't unthinkable. You know, let's see, maybe you drop one at Duke, you drop one at Virginia, you drop one... You know, maybe you drop one at Syracuse or Virginia Tech. Um, maybe one gets by you at home. I'll go 24, 24 and seven. A good 24 and seven, but I'll say 24 and seven for the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, I knew we would differ on this, which is good. I'm, I'm, I'm saying lower, but I still think, I want to be clear here. I can, I still think Carolina is going to be a top five team in the country, but they might take, you know, a loss or two here. I just, I don't know if I see them cruising not that five losses is cruising i don't know i the, uh, i i'm not convinced they're gonna win pk 85 at indiana that's a tough one and then yeah, they can beat both ohio state and michigan but yeah I, I i wanted to go 25 and 6 gp but i couldn't get myself there so i'll go 24 wins seven losses for unc now we have a producer who is a carolina resident so he's in it more than we are now to turn your mic on real quick because i do want to get your perspective on this uh, living in the state um, where are people at on Hubert Davis last February? Where are people at on Hubert Davis right now? It's a complete 180. People right. wanted him out right after that pit loss. So him turning it around and everybody loves this team now. It's a complete 180. I'm shocked by the complete love for this team. Granted, a Final Four National Championship run does kind of help in that regard. But uh, it, it, they love him now, and we'll see how much they love him if they start slow this year. It is wild to think about. It was February 17th. The it, was morning. Too, it was too aggressive. It was too aggressive. It was February 17th, the morning after the loss, and if you would have pulled North Carolina fans right now, it's like – we got a guy who inherited a top 25 team. We're now borderline top 50 at Ken Palm, maybe about to be the NCAA tournament. And he enters this season with like big questions. They don't have a lot of patience. It's like Carolina. And instead he flips it, goes to the championship game. Now he's got arguably the best team in the country coming, coming into a second season. Like nobody flipped anything more dramatically than Huber did. And, and like good for him because People do like Hubert Davis. Like he's a he's a genuinely nice man. Um, I thought I did think if I'm being I don't want to have revisionist history here. When they get blown out by Kentucky and blown out by a lot of people, I thought it was reasonable to wonder like what we talk about all the time. You never know. 
Somebody can be the best assistant in the country, and then it, you give them, you slide over to that other seat, and it, you know sometimes it just doesn't work. I thought it was reasonable to wonder, just wonder, you know, if 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 that was happening here. But boy, he he turned it around, and and the, and 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 this is a, I think I, I can't overstate this enough. Um, it, it wasn't like we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, and you know, you guys got to play a little harder. You know, it wasn't none of that stuff. Sometimes coaches are like, if the guys would just buy in, it was, they actually changed what they were doing. They said, what we're doing is not working. Let's change it. And they changed it and started working coaching. And I give them all the credit in the world. And I, I couldn't be happier for, for Hubert and his staff. And, and, and now you're bringing back. Tell me if this is true. The most recognizable college basketball team in terms of, Hey, yeah, I know that guy since the, Florida team that won the national title the first game? The mm, first that's year? That's a good question. Most recognizable since the Florida group? Like in the sense that you bring back a bunch of guys you, yeah. that people know their names and they're from an accomplished team, and now they're all back to try to do more or less what they did last season. We don't get this too often in college basketball. It's a direct... Yeah, it's different from a guy like... Because Drew Timmy is the most famous yeah, yeah but I'm talking about a collection player, like a as team. Correct. I'm I'm just making like if we're talking about Gonzaga right now, if you were to ask it's a, not, right, a, yeah. nor, a normal sports fan, hey Gonzaga, pre they, they might be preseason number 1. Name the players, go now. People mm-hmm. go Drew Timmy, right. Uh they'd hit it. They'd hit the wall quickly. With yeah. Carolina, I think you could go Baycott's back, right? Yeah, Caleb Love, sure. Leaky Leaky Black, sure. Like people know these people. That's that's yes. not a common thing among great college basketball teams to get all, this many guys back from a team that There's, literally played the title game. I don't know. I can't. I you know what? Find us on on social. Tweet us. Tweet the uh, at Ion College Basketball Podcast Twitter account as well. You might be right that it's the most recognizable collective since Florida in 07. I mean, there's maybe like, you know, the Harrison twins coming back. But like Wisconsin brought back Kaminsky, Kaminsky and Decker. And, so they're good. there. Like Kentucky and Duke, the guys are leaving. So it right. doesn't really apply. Villanova had some guys between like 16 and 17 that would have maybe been in there. I, I feel like it might be. Uh, Wisconsin. Uh, I don't know. Louisville, maybe. Um but it's an interesting point that you that you bring up with uh, with all that because yes, g- given the the nature of the run, the school they play for, you know, having Baycott make NCAA tournament history, Caleb Love hits a big shot, R.J. Davis, um, yeah, there's there's something to be said for that. Four guys on this roster are, you know, the, <laughs> and like one of the guys literally gets mentioned on the National College Basketball <laughs> podcast like every single episode. So yeah, there is something to that. It might be maybe since the Gators, if not. I feel like maybe Wisconsin is the one that uh, that could be the more recent one because there were guys that were on that team, and it wasn't just you know Kaminsky and Decker. You had um, uh, yeah, but Gosser, Nigel Hayes. Like I feel like that one is probably one, but Wisconsin not yeah. nearly as big as Carolina, and Florida was huge at that time. So it's it's certainly a good thought experiment. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you and not subscribe, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Over to Apple, five stars. Leave a nice review. There, there's more of us. There's more of us than there are of them. That's still true. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do that while you're here. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. 
So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.